Want to want to borrow mine? <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. Hey, Gary's works. You swap with Gary. We are live. We're live. Okay. Very good. We're on. Okay. Go ahead and turn to to Nehemiah 13. We'll read a few scriptures there from Nehemiah 13, but, but happy Father's Day. Um, there's, I hope everybody who's, who's a father has just got a, a great day in front of them of uh, remembering people around you just being thankful for you. And that, that's something that um, I know that I appreciate from my family and hope everyone here does from, from theirs as well. We have uh, several guests in town, uh, from, some from out of town, some from our community. You're welcome. You always got a family here. And uh, we, what we want to be as a church is just a place where, where we get back to the basics of Christianity. We're simple about it, and people can, can serve and grow to be what, what God wants them to here. And that's our dream, and that's what we, we want to be more and more every day as God continues to launch us into eternity. Hey, we're going to look uh, today from the book of Nehemiah, and I've spent the last... Uh, month and a half or so, going through the book of Nehemiah. We started it when we started uh, meeting together here about that time. Because Nehemiah is one of those books where Nehemiah is, is a book that is full of change. It's full of new beginnings. And I've got to tell you that, as for myself, all of us have different heroes in Scripture. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of names. Of, of people in Scripture, and, and raise your hand if this person is a hero for you. How about Ruth? Raise your hand if Ruth is a spiritual hero for you. Okay. How about Paul? Is Paul a spiritual hero for some? Okay. How about Jezebel? Ha, ah, good, okay. <laughs> this is what you don't do, boys and girls, right? Jezebel is, a, is, a, is the opposite side. Okay, how about Jesus? Okay, Jesus is always the right answer in, in, in assembly, right? We have our are different heroes that maybe they, they touch our hearts in different ways. And Nehemiah is one of those for me. And if you remember, what happens with Nehemiah is, is that we see is that Nehemiah throughout the process or throughout the, the book is that he's got a tremendous, tremendous deep faith. And as I, I look at his story, I think, man, that's what I want. I want that type of deep faith that can't be shaken, that does things for God that are honorable, that it's just like this, this great, as Isaiah talks about, oaks of righteousness, these, these, this great strong tree that nothing can shake. And as I look through the book of Nehemiah, and we've spent here the last weeks on it, we know the story of Nehemiah. As Nehemiah is a guy that is living in 
a place called Susa. He is a servant of the Persian king. And Nehemiah is the age where he has, was born in captivity. He wasn't one of those that was brought out of Jerusalem into captivity. He was born after that. And so Nehemiah would have grown up hearing the stories of how wonderful Jerusalem was or how beautiful the temple was before it was destroyed. And Nehemiah grows up, and, and we don't know anything about his early life, but where the story picks up, we see Nehemiah serving as a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, that is quite a responsibility because how many of you have had food poisoning, maybe? Some of you have had food poisoning. Okay, just imagine if somebody tries to do that to you on purpose, on a regular basis. It's a bad deal. And so Nehemiah's job is to be around the king, to test his food, to test his, his wine, test his drink, whatever it is before he tastes it, to make sure that somebody has not poisoned the king. And not only that, but he's not just some impersonal guy that stands there beside the king and says, all right, I'll drink that first, drinks it, it's fine, king, and hands it. But he has a hands-on person that is oversees the food preparation. He's a person of great responsibility. And you remember, it says that some of Nehemiah's brothers come back from Jerusalem, that thousand-mile journey, and Nehemiah can't wait, and he says, hey, how is everybody back in Jerusalem? You can imagine the stories he's heard, how beautiful it is, how amazing it was before it was destroyed, and he knows that the temple's been rebuilt. He says, how is it back in Jerusalem? And you can imagine these guys that come in to his presence and just drop their heads and say, oh, man, Nehemiah, it's terrible. It's bad. It's bad because the walls are broken down. People are living there in abject poverty. It's just this disaster of a town. It's awful. And Nehemiah's head sinks. And he prays to God and says, God... We have sinned, I have sinned, and that's why we're in this situation. And give me courage and give me success in the presence of this man today. And the next scene we see in chapter 2 is that Nehemiah is in the presence of this Persian king. And the Persian king is sitting there with his wife next to him, the queen. And he says, as Nehemiah is walking around, you can imagine this, he sees Nehemiah day in, day out. He knows how his, his personality, he knows how he carries himself, someone that has become his friend in a way. And he looks around, he sees Nehemiah is, something's not up. You imagine the king just nudging the queen, looking and saying, look what's going on here. And Nehemiah is walking around, he's doing his, his job. And the king says, Nehemiah, what's going on? Because you've never... So it says, Nehemiah says he's never been sad in the king's presence before. And he says, this can only be sadness of heart. What's going on? And there we have probably the shortest recorded prayer in Scripture. It says that Nehemiah prayed, and then he answered the king. He says, how can I be happy when the city of my ancestors lives, lies in ruins and the walls are broken down? The king says, what do you want to do, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah says, I want to go back. I want to go and, and gives him his plan. And Nehemiah gets the blessing and goes back to Jerusalem. And he gets the people together and says, All right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild the wall. And this is how it's going to work. And the people jump on board. It's like herding cats, but he gets people together. And people take whatever is in front of their house, and if they can handle a little bit more, that's fine. Some of the nobles say, Forget it, I'm not doing that. Not going, not doing this stuff. But you can see that, that the wall is, is being rebuilt. And it just goes smooth and everybody lives happily ever after, right? No, that's no. If you've been here, you know that's not what happens. 
is some of the people that had, had been in positions of power up to that point in time, they tried to intimidate, they tried to ridicule, they tried to, to slander, they tried to gossip, they did everything they could in order to try to, try to discourage Nehemiah and try to discourage the workers. And Nehemiah says, give us strength. Do not let our strength and courage fail during this time. And, and they continue to build. And in spite of all these, these, uh, these people that continue to bring opposition, the wall is finished in less than two months. And the people come together and they start reading the book of the law. And there's not only a transformation of the, the city, but there's a spiritual transformation that starts happening in people's hearts. Because people put their hands to work the poor that have been taken advantage of, they get their property back. They get their loved ones back. And there's this big spiritual renewal that starts happening. People start reading and they're, they're heartbroken and they're sick to their stomachs because they realize how far they've gotten away from what God wants them to be. And Nehemiah and the others there say, no, 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 don't do this. Don't, don't get upset. It's good. This is, a today, this is a day to celebrate, and they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, this is the spiritual camping trip. This is the week-long YBC, leaving your, your normal, everyday situation to live in a tent or a, a shelter and to fellowship and to be excited. And that's what they do for that week. And when that finishes, the people come together, and they hear the words of the Lord, and there's great repentance, there's great distress, and there is praying and a recommitment to God. And they recommit that says that what they say in their recommitment is that we will, from this day forward, obey the Torah. We're going to listen to the words of the law and we're going to put them into practice, which means that we're going to keep the Sabbath. That's part of the reason why we've had all these problems is that we've not kept the Sabbath and so we're going to keep the Sabbath and we're not going to let our children marry people that don't love God. We're not going to do that anymore. And we're going to support the temple because the temple is just this place, but without the priests and the Levites there and the sacrifices and the tithe, then the spiritual well-being of everybody, the spiritual teachings are not going to emanate out. We're not going to be a house of prayer for all nations. So we agree that we're going to support this. We're going to give our best to it. And they do. And there is great spiritual revival that happens. The last chapter, verse 13, we see that Nehemiah leaves for a while and comes back. And what does he find? Everybody living in harmony, doing just as they committed, right? Chapter 13, he gets back, and what he sees is there's people that are buying and selling on the Sabbath. There's marriages that are happening among the leaders that they are arranging marriages to people uh, that, that don't honor God at all. And the priests and the Levites have gone back to their ancestral fields because they cannot survive anymore and nehemiah says this is not okay you made the commitment made the covenant and and we talked about that last week what christian rebuke looks like is god calls you higher he wants something more and that's in a nutshell the book of nehemiah that's the story there and when i i look at the life of nehemiah Again, like I say, I look, I look at him and I say, wait a minute, there's some tremendous things there. Look at these qualities. I want those qualities of this guy because he's, a, he's courageous, right? He leaves his situation that was relatively comfortable, I would imagine, to travel a thousand miles into 
a mission ministry that's going to be really difficult. He understood that, but he does it. He's courageous. He's, he's not going to, going to back down from something that, that could be big or something that's important. He gives the people a mission, and that's always scary. And the people jump on and follow him, but he's courageous in that. He's prayerful. You notice how many, does anybody know how many written prayers are written out or recorded in the book of Nehemiah? Anybody have a guess? I'll give you, I'll give you a guess. I'll give you a hint. It's more than 13 and less than 15. Does that get you there? Landon's our accountant. What is that? 14 prayers. <laughs> I have no idea. 14 recorded prayers in the book of Nehemiah where he is praying out to God. Sometimes it's corporate prayer. Sometimes it's something that he says just to God himself. Sometimes they're not even recorded. It just says that he prays. And sometimes he says, God, remember me for the good things that I'm doing. Don't forget me. And sometimes he says, remember them for the bad things they're doing. Don't let their evil be a corruption for the, for the others here. He talks about uh, Nehemiah is one that is, that is loving. You see that this in his heart when the people that are taken advantage of because they're poor, he doesn't stand by the side and say, oh, that's unfortunate. I think I will... Go eat my choice lamb. He does something about it. He says, I'm going to do something about it. This is, this is important. That's part of being loving. Those people that are, are abusing the others, that are taking advantage of the others, this is a time for justice. And he um, makes sure that that happens, that there is, there is justice and mercy, depending on the situation. Who needs what? And that's part of being loving here. He uh, says that he is uh, self-sacrificing, you see that, uh, that, that came up and it was kind of, I, I remember reading Nehemiah dozens of times probably and it never jumped out to me like it did this time as to how Nehemiah out of his own pocket fed so many people, made sure that he didn't create a tax burden on others that they couldn't bear and it says that neither he nor his brothers acquired property during this time. They did not take advantage of their, their brothers and sisters but made sure that everyone was taken care of. He didn't use this opportunity as, as an opportunity for him to, to expand his wealth and get rich. He did the opposite. He gave and he sacrificed. He was steadfast. Uh, in all these times where Nehemiah faced so much criticism, I imagine it would have been easy for him to say, all right, forget you guys. I'm going back to Susa. The Persian king, the, the, non the non-godly Persian king, wants me, and you guys don't, and so I'm just going to bail. I'm gone. I'm done. I'm out of here, sort of thing. I imagine that would have been a temptation for him, but he was steadfast. He could just continue to do right and stay in the mission that God gave him. We see that Nehemiah is reflective in the prayers that he shares. You see that his, he's aware of his own shortcomings. He says, God, I'm me individually, myself, my father's family, me I know that I'm responsible for some of the sin that has brought us into these tough circumstances. I'm not, it's not all those guys over there, but it's me. I'm part of it. He's, uh, he's one that is, uh, empowers others. You notice Nehemiah, unlike some of the kings of Israel and others, he understood exactly who he was and who he needed to be. He did not try to become a priest, try to become a Levite, try to become something that he wasn't supposed to be but he empowered others to be all they could be. And you see Nehemiah at times, he's, he's there, he's empowering the priest to get up, and, and he's doing his role of, of governor. 
But he's making sure that he's empowering others to be able to, to raise up to be all that they need to be. And I look at those qualities and I think, yeah, that's it. That's the good stuff. Dads, when you look at this list, you think, yeah, that's good. Okay, yeah, I'm on board with that. That's what I want to be. That's the kind of, kind of dad I want to be. I want to have these qualities just, just pouring out of me. And I wish we knew more about Nehemiah's early life. We don't. But I think, what factors made Nehemiah produce such excellent spiritual fruit? And I did some research this week, and uh, I didn't bring a lot of it here. But just what factors are evident or have to be present in order to produce great fruit? I know that my apples did not go this year. Anybody else have that? Okay. Anybody have apples in their trees right now? Oh, man. Okay. So it was just, just mine, I guess. But I do have plums, I have cherries, and I have pears that are about the size of a quarter right now. They're growing, and, and it's really exciting to, to look at them every few days, and you see something good happening there. But in order for, for a tree like that to produce, it's got to have good soil or decent soil. It's got to have sun. It's got to have water. Many other things. I looked at some scientific journals that had dozens and dozens of things that were there that were important. But those are the things that jump out to us is soil, sun, and water. We could say environment. If you try to grow an olive tree or a lemon tree here, what's going to happen? It's not. It's not going to happen. It's not going to go very well at all. But Nehemiah had some factors, just like it takes great factors to produce good fruit. Nehemiah must have had some factors in his life that caused him to grow up to demonstrate all of these these tremendous spiritual qualities that, that we're talking about here. So let's try to think about that for a minute. What are some things that would have happened in Nehemiah in his life for him to have these, these great spiritual qualities? One of the things that jumped out to me immediately as I was just thinking and walking and praying is Nehemiah grew up in a context that was pretty different than people before him. Hey, just imagine if you grew up in the time of David, for example. You're there in Jerusalem. You're surrounded by other people who worship God. And the temple is right there. You can see it. And so in order to follow God, you don't have to step out of what society is very much. But Nehemiah has grown up in a totally different situation. What he knows about Jerusalem and what he knows about the temple is what he's heard from others. And Nehemiah grows up learning and understanding and talking with some of the older generation that was there that would have been taken for captives in Jerusalem that had seen the old temple and had seen all the walls there. And you imagine Nehemiah sitting in a house or in the city square and some of the older generation is there saying, boy, we had something really good in Jerusalem, but we blew it. We blew it because we chased after all of these other gods, even though God told us not to do that, but we continue to do that, and we absolutely blew it. And Nehemiah, I hope you as a little guy learn from the generations before. Because we absolutely blew it, and I hope you don't. And I imagine Nehemiah learned very well the consequences of sin, or what it looks like from the generations ahead of him. And he grew up in a culture where he couldn't just make the journey to the temple. He couldn't do that. It was a thousand miles away. How is he going to do that? It's very likely that Nehemiah didn't ever see Jerusalem until he went there to rebuild the walls. But Nehemiah grew up in a culture where you see synagogues evolving later in the time of Jesus. Synagogues are everywhere. But if people wanted to worship God, they couldn't go to the temple. They're far away. It's really hard to, to 
celebrate and honor the Sabbath. It depended on, on who, your, who your master was, if you were able to do that or not. But you can imagine Nehemiah thinking, all right, here I am in this situation far, far away from, from where my people come from. But I'm learning Scripture because several days a week or we go and we read Scripture and I hear it and I listen to it because I don't want my people to make the same mistakes that the generation before did. And not only that, is Nehemiah is surrounded by this culture that, that is not godly at all. Nowhere around him. And Nehemiah is like Daniel, like Esther, like others during this time period, are doing their best to say, I'm going to try to demonstrate what God is about, even though people around me are totally, totally and completely different. And somewhere in Nehemiah's formation, as he grew and he listened and he looked at examples and he heard the words of God, something happened in Nehemiah, very simply, this isn't complex, it's not complicated, is that Nehemiah's deep life focus was deciding that he was going to be one that honored God day in, day out. That's it. And he thought, wow, look at all the good things that God has done. I've heard the scriptures of what God wants me to be, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to live that out day in, day out. And not only that, is Nehemiah somewhere must have decided that he wanted to give his spiritual descendants more than what he had inherited. Does that sound familiar? We don't know if Nehemiah had any children. doesn't say. Uh, there's speculation that he could have even been a eunuch. Probably not. Some, some servants were. Probably not him because he's in the assembly in the, in the temple there and he would have been excluded during those times. But it's possible. We don't know. But somewhere along the line, Nehemiah, as he heard that things were not good in Jerusalem, something very, very deep in his heart stirred. And he said, God, maybe I'm the one to be able to help, to be able to do something. And I will go. And when the Persian king asked him, what's going on? He prayed and he said, I want to go back. I want to rebuild the wall. I want to give my spiritual descendants something much, much better than I have here. He didn't say it in those words, but that's the idea. And he's sent back and uh, demonstrates these tremendous examples of leading people through change that provide a great example for all of us. And his dads, how many of your dads, raise your hand, okay, do you want your kids to have stuff better than you had it? Yeah, all of us do. All of us do that. I see my own shortcomings sometimes, uh, and I think, man, I hope my, my kids survive this. You know, I hope my kids are all right. I hope my kids do well, you know, that kind of thing. You ever feel that sort of thing? Man, uh, there's a, I'm, I'm just, I just, I don't want to ever become a stumbling block to my kids being all that they can be. But I know that when I hear this phrase in our world, is that I want my kids to have more than I had. Usually it has to do with, I want them to get a car sooner than I did. I want them to have money more than I did. That sort of thing is the things that our society focuses on. And my encouragement for all of us, whether you have biological children or you have spiritual people, that, children that you can influence, whoever it may be, all of us have people that we can influence. Okay? We don't know that Nehemiah had children, but he cared very much about the generations that came after him. That's why he did what he did. And my encouragement is for all of us is that we approach life no matter what's happened up to this point in time, 
No matter if we have the, the, the stereotypical family or our situation is much, much different, that we make the commitment to say, I want the people that come after me spiritually to have much more than what I've inherited. And I'm excited to be able to give whatever I can to them. And boy, if we wake up every day, and that's a great commitment in our life, then hang on, because God's going to use us in ways that we could never imagine, just like he did with Nehemiah. I imagine someday when we get to stand face-to-face with Nehemiah and say, Man, Nehemiah, how did you pull all that off? How did you do this? That was great. That was phenomenal. Rebuilding the wall with all that opposition, all that kind of stuff, was that tough? What happened? I don't have a clue what Nehemiah's response is going to be, but I imagine it's something like this. Oh, man, it was hard. It was difficult. But I made a decision somewhere early on that I wanted what happened next to be better than what I got. I wanted to have this life focus that was honoring God, and what I did is just the next good thing that I could. And when uh, opposition came, I just continued to do good. I didn't get scared. I didn't get intimidated. I didn't run. I just continued to do good. And for all of us, there's a, a great message from Nehemiah for us as fathers, for us as, for you as wives, mothers, all the above. Whatever our life situation is, whatever our family situation is, I pray that we can make a commitment to give our spiritual descendants much, much more than we ever inherited. And that's a life well lived. Happy Father's Day. If you'd like to become a Christian, you're welcome to head to the back. Elders are back there waiting to pray with you. We're going to go into our our Lord's Supper, and then we'll sing our way out uh, as we, we go out into whatever God has planned for us today. Have a blessed day.